Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly Alexander, and joining us on the show this week is Emmy Award-winning actress Jess Walton from The Young and the Restless, chatting about her amazing career in Hollywood and what it's been like being on the number one rated daytime drama, portraying the fabulous character of Jill Foster Abbott since 1987. We welcome back to the show as well Canadian pop rock band Mariana's Trench, who have released their latest album called Phantoms and have much to discuss about it, not to mention life on the road and who would portray them in a movie about their lives. We've also got new music for you from Blake Shelton, Kelly Clarkson, and Khalid. But first, let's welcome the wonderfully talented Jess Walton. Jess, thank you so much for joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. When I hear that description of me, I can't even believe it's me. <laughs> well, it's awesome. I mean, I, just like yesterday. I remember it was just like yesterday when they called me up from CBS and said, well, you're going to be one of our daytime stars, so we're going to be handling you. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be a star. <laughs> it's, just, it's so strange to hear these kind of things, you know, because you're just a person who goes to work at a job in your mind. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you have many accolades and we can't wait to get to all of them. I did want to take you back just to start. Did you know early on in life that you wanted to pursue a career in acting? Always. That's all I ever wanted to do. I mean, for a while I tried out being a filing clerk because I thought being an actress was just like a pipe dream that all girls wanted to do. And so after about six months of it, I thought I would rather be dead than keep doing this. I, you know, so... Anyway, it was not very uh, exciting for me. That was, as a matter of fact, that was around the time when the Beatles became famous. That happened while I was a filing clerk and that President Kennedy was killed, too. Oh, wow. That's how long ago that was. I know. I know. I remember it like it was yesterday, being in the filing room when that happened. Wow, that's crazy. Now, what would you consider Jill to be your, or Jess, I should say, it's because I watched the show too much. Um, That's okay. I don't care. (laughs) What would you consider uh, to be your first big break in Hollywood? Um, I think when William Morris wanted to handle me, because they were a very, very big agency. And I was in Canada. And my, I had a manager up there. I did a lot of theater. And she was coming down to Los Angeles from Toronto to sell this singing group. And when she showed them my picture that was in her portfolio, they said, oh, my God, she's so young and she's done so much stuff. Could you bring her down, too? So that was my first big break. That's amazing. And were you uh, trepidatious at all about leaving Toronto or were you happy to get going south? No, I was really happy to get going because I had fallen in love. I'm a kind of impulsive person. And on the week that I was down here meeting with William Morris, I met a rock and roll manager who happened to uh, manage Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, some very big stars. And we fell madly in love. And so a week after I went home, I had moved everything and came down here. And that was the start of everything. Wow. Now, I was reading some, some background stuff, and, and uh, I didn't think, I, I guess I didn't know this before, but I read that you were, you were sort of guest starring on a bunch of shows like Gunsmoke and The Rockard Files and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was it like to be a part of that Hollywood scene in the 70s and 80s? Well, it's history now, and you look back at it romantically. Um, it was a working actress hoping for the next job. At one point, I was put under contract at Universal. And I didn't any longer have to go out and audition. They just put me where they wanted me in any of the universal shows. But it was the typical actress going on auditions, and I hated auditions. Um, And it was back, God, you know, it was about 50 years ago. That's what's so amazing about it. 
Um, it was about 50 years ago, and the town was very different. Um, and you used to have two or three days preparation for an audition. Now I hear they can call you the same day, and you put it on tape. So I don't know. It was very kind of, it was historical, I think, now when I look back on it. When it comes to and a fun time and a fun time. When it comes to getting yeah. the role of of Jill Foster Abbott on YNR, uh, did you have to audition, or, or like you said, they called you up? So did you have to do any auditioning, or it was just here you go? Not on YNR. No, I auditioned for Capital, and I was on there for three years. And because when Capital ended, I had put a tape together of my best themes, and that that you know spoke for me. And that's why I didn't have to audition because it was right there. And Bill Bell, God bless him could see in me what he needed in jail right there in front of him on the tape. Now, I know this was obviously... Except a wi- for a while, he thought Jess Walton was a man, so he didn't even look at it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they said, have you, well, he said, I can't find a new Jill. And they said, well, have you seen Jess's tape? And he said, oh, I thought Jess Walton was a guy. <laughs> so he didn't look at it. But then he looked at it, and then I got the job. So that was great. I wanted to ask you, too, because I know as a, as a, a daytime fan, sometimes uh, you get super involved in not only the character, but then who the, who the actor and the actress you know, are. And uh, I know there's, sometimes there's very successful recasts, and sometimes there's not. And obviously your uh, recast of Jill was, was very successful. Did you find it, though, daunting to have to take over from Brenda Dixon? Well, I had already taken over. When I went to Capitol, I was taking over for a major character. So I was kind of used to it, you know. Um, I was very happy about it because on Capitol, I was not a core family member. When I was coming to YNR, I was coming over as one of the Abbots, and I knew they were a core family. So I was very happy because there is a lot of security in that position, you know. Um, I remember Ed Scott, who was our wonderful producer for many years, he kept coming down. We used to do a lot of takes. Now we do, you know, one or two takes. But back then we had the luxury of more. And he'd come down and he'd alter me slightly in little different ways so that the audience, it would be a smooth transition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little daunting, more so than if I'd probably had a new character to play. But I felt really guided and taken care of. So that was great. And besides which... We shot Capitol right across the hall from YNR. So I knew all the makeup people already and the camera people and a lot of the actors. So it was really, it couldn't have been more perfect. Joining us on the show is Emmy Award-winning actress Jess Walton from The Young and the Restless. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at JessWaltonYR. Jess, I wanted to ask you what you love the most about portraying Jill because when we watch you on scene, uh, or you know, on screen I should say, you literally embody Jill. Like it's just like you are her. Thank you. I really believe that actors on soap operas, especially if you're on a long time, the characters kind of blend together. Now, the parts of Jill that are not me are the ones that are a lot of fun to play. But, I mean, I used to tell people I'd get a script and I'd see some outrageous things I had to do and I would die because it was so embarrassing. You know, um, I don't know. It is effortless. Part of me lives as Jill. Okay. You know, um, I, I was never one of those people that brought my work home, though. There, there is a separation there. Um, I most enjoy the comedy scenes. I really, really miss Jeannie Cooper as a person, as an actress. And a big part of what I miss is that we used to do so much comedy. And I don't really get a chance to do that much anymore. You know, a little bit with Esther, but... 
I really did it with Gene. That's why I loved um, Tristan Rogers so much as my husband, because he used to make me laugh, and he's a funny guy. So yeah, that's you, my favorite part of Jill. Well, you guys are amazing, and I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Gina Cooper, because I, w- I was reading, and I'm not sure if it's accurate, but I'm hoping it is, that, that your on-screen feud is actually the longest-running uh, feud on American soap operas. And I know at the end of the sh- like at the end oh. before, yeah, like I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I do, too. I do, too. And it was, there was nothing like it, I'm telling you. We would trust each other so much, and we would we would attack a scene. We used to be hours in her dressing because her the chancellor living room set was up last in the day, so we get a lot of time to work on those scenes. And we would build those scenes um, for the climax to the for the punchline. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And both of us would give the other person the punchline if that's the way it was written. We would play it like. <laughs> it was Abbott and Costello, but it was some kind of partnership. Oh, um, it was and amazing. both of us loved the comedy scenes. Well, you guys, like, you literally are, like, almost like the dynamic duo. And I wanted to ask you, because um, I still vividly remember uh, her last scene, you know, when she walked up that staircase. Did you have any sense that things were not going well at that point, that that might be her last episode? Because I, I know all of us I were did. devastated. I, yeah. knew she, I knew she wasn't well. And I remember sitting in while we were in the living room part of the scene just wondering how much longer we could go on like this. I remember thinking that. And then she got up and left uh, to go upstairs, and I followed her to the hall. And I think I did have some kind of inkling that it might be the last. I I remember, I, I think I remember thinking one of these scenes is going to be the last one. That's what I thought. Wow. And what was it like when yeah. you guys had to um, shoot that special, which was amazing, talking about her life and, and obviously her, her you know, presence on YNR for so long? Because that was such an, an amazing episode as a fan to be able to see you guys out of character talking about her. Yeah, it was wonderful and it was very special. And, um, and it was heartbreaking at the same time. At, uh, also, I don't even know if it had thoroughly hit me. It it sure hit me while, a while after that, whenever I'd be driving into work, and I didn't have that to look forward to, um, because I used to, God, I loved working with her and driving into work, knowing that we were going to laugh so much that day, you know? Um, we used to both come, Laurel Canyon is a street that comes into Hollywood over the hills, and we would race each other <laughs> in the mornings up that street. We'd pass each other in our cars, and... Oh, my God. She was just magnificent. Magnificent. Now, uh, you've been paired with so many uh, men on YNR over the years, but I think some of our favorite scenes as fans, at least in my case, is when I watch you as Jill take on Victor and and Jack. Like, you just, like, you stand up to them, and it's amazing, and it's, again, it just seems effort- effortless, and, and we as an audience totally believe that you could take either of them down at any point. Uh, what's it like working with Eric and Peter Bergman? Um, they're both very, very different. Um, a long, long time ago, Jill and Eric had an affair. And Jill thought that Eric, that uh, Victor was going to ask her to marry him when, in fact, he was planning to break up with her. Um, and I remember I had some crying scenes after that. And I used to have a lot of difficulty crying. But I never had any trouble crying with Eric. And I tried to analyze why that was. And I think it's because he was such a strong man that I felt very supported. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And very safe to cry. I remember being surprised by that. 
she was also very, very funny, I remember. I was a little um, nervous about working with him just because of, you know, the way he is. But he couldn't have been kinder. He was absolutely fabulous. And Peter, on the other hand, um, is equally strong, for sure. I'm much closer to Peter, um, you know, as a person. And we have worked together much, much more. And I don't know if there's anybody I'm more comfortable working with than Peter. And you talk about trust, too. I mean, we'll discuss the scene beforehand and what's going on with it. And we're always on the same page. And he makes me laugh so much. I mean, it's a great joy to me that I still get to see both of those men today after 31 years, you know, and we work together. It's uh, such a gift. There's, uh, you know, a lot of powerful women on that show. And I also love when you get to mix it up with, uh, with Melody Thomas-Scott. What's it like working oh. with her? <laughs> She's the funniest person. She makes me laugh constantly. I, w- I mean, the two of us together in the scenes, both coming from different places. But, but as women, we've occupied the same kind of um, occupation for so many years. And we know all the ins and outs of it. And we love to spar with each other. So that's a joy to me. And I wish we had more scenes together, actually. Yeah, because it's awesome. And I find that since Jeannie's been gone, obviously, I know it's not the same dynamic, but I find like we get a bit of that comedy element with you and, and Nikki on screen. And it's yeah. fun to watch you guys go at each other, especially in the, in the Chancellor Park over JT's um, statue or, or that statue that they, <laughs> they had. That was amazing yeah. scenes. yeah. And it's like a battle among equals. I love that with, with, with Melody and me. And that's what I mean. Like, we're veterans, and we've both been around. And it's, it's really a, one, a wonderful sparring contest. I have to take you back to when you won the uh, Emmy Award. Obviously, you've been nominated a bunch of times, and then you, you won back in um, the late 90s for, for Leading Actress. Can you explain to us um, what it feels like to be nominated, but then actually to walk away with that win? Because, again, there's so many amazing actresses in daytime, and I don't think you guys get enough credit. Um, so it must be super special to, to, to walk away with that Emmy. It was, it was very, very special. Um... I remember the first time I was nominated, I was new to the soap community, and that was just such a pleasure in itself. I think the first time I was nominated, I don't know if I won. I won, I won for Best Supporting at one point, and the minute they called my name, I couldn't believe it. What I felt, it was like that Sally Fields thing. It was an outpouring of love. Just you flash on all the people who voted yes for you, and it's a really a wonderful feeling of acceptance within that community. And, and although I always treasured that Emmy so much, it was a supporting actress. So that made the best actress or the lead actress even better because, and I was the first actress, lead actress to win on YNR in all those years that it had been on, they'd never had another lead actress win. So that was a really big thrill. And I, I don't know. I, it really sounds stupid, but it felt like I had proved myself that I had made the grade and I was capable of it. Because there's, I think in most actors, there's a little bit of insecurity about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that kind of erased that from me. Amazing. And I wanted so, to ask you, too, yeah. um, about 
the because you know you've been on on YNR for. Are you for, from Canada? I am. I'm from Montreal. Are you from Canada? I am. Oh my God! I was raised in Toronto. You know. This is what I found out, which I think I is just, amazing. Yeah, I just heard the about. I'm sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. What are you going to say? <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, you'll have to come up to Montreal and have some poutine, though. I don't know if you've been back to Montreal, but you should definitely come up in the summer. That'd be good. I would love. To. I would. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask okay. you too, um, because you've been on on this, you know, daytime for so long, and obviously, I'm sure you've met tons and tons of fans over the years. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because, you know, I've been watching YNR since 1991. I was 13 years old at the time, and I became enamored with it, and I've stuck with it all these years. And over the years, as I've gone through um, my life and, and the different chapters that have gone through and, and just in my own regard, I always feel like I'm super connected to this show. And it feels like I, you know, I follow the bumps and bruises along with the characters and even with the actors, especially now that there's social media and we can si- sort of follow you guys a little bit uh, in your real life. Why do you think daytime connects so um, much with audiences and that you, we, you guys do feel like you're an extended part of our family? Well, I think it's because you come into our homes every day. And you come into our homes. I mean, we come into your homes, obviously, through the TV. But you actually right there in front of us. It's like we're there with you. And it's every day. It seems to make a lot of sense to me. You know, it's it's very different from a Paul Newman or a... You know, Marlon Brando, and I'm dating myself, <laughs> just somebody current. But, um, you know, Brangelina or whatever, although they're broken up now. It just seems normal to me. And I really think it's related to the nuclear family being blown apart so much with parents on one coast, their children raising their grandchildren on another coast. Everybody's so far apart. And so you kind of need a replacement for that. And there's some kind of link because you don't know how many people say that. Everybody says that. Every fan says that. Um, I have a girlfriend who's a super good fan, and it's the only thing she and her mother could stand to discuss over the dinner table was what Jill and Catherine did that day. Um, it's, it's an amazing phenomenon, but when you really think about it, it's not that strange. You see us at our most vulnerable. You see us crying. You see our joy. I mean... Uh, you used to, yeah. Anyway, it makes a lot of sense to me. What does your uh, fans mean to you, Jess? Because again, like we just love you. Like I, every time you bounce back into Genoa City, I'm just ecstatic. So I hope there's more of you to come too. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. You know, I sometimes wonder because it's kind of I don't come back that often, um, and I'm overjoyed when I do come back. But thank you. I'm glad that you feel that way. Oh, a thousand percent. You literally, every time I see you bounce back into screen and then you're usually with Jason Thompson, like I just, I'm, I'm like, here she's back. And I'm, I always hope you stay for a long time too. Oh, you're so sweet. I love working with him, by the way, too. Sometimes when I come back, they just have me blasting somebody. I think, <laughs> well, but then they, then they very often do have the scenes with my sons, you know, where I'm softer and everything. It's kind of a balancing act with Jill. Because I can be really horrendous to, to people sometimes. And then... I'm always glad that they're very smart in the writing, that they show the softer side of me, too. Uh, just a couple of more questions before you go. I did want to ask this just because, again, all of us who are, are big fans of wine are, are, of course, very sad at the passing of Christoph St. John. I just wanted to know if you had any words that you wanted to pass along to my audience about what he was like as a colleague and friend. Well, the only thing I could say to your audience that he was very, very much um, behind the scenes like he was on the screen. This man was one of the most loving people I ever met. I mean... The truth is I didn't do much work with him later. When he first came on, I did work with him. Um, when Drusilla was on, he was with her. 
And then at the Jabot, he worked for Jabot early on. I remember thinking at the time, my God, they've they've hired such a wonderful actor. He's going to be such a great staple for the show because I had no doubt that he would be around for a long, long time. So that was the actor part of it. And in later years, I didn't really work with him that much. But always over the years, this man was one of the most loving people I ever met. You'd walk down the hall. The minute you would catch eyes with him, his whole face would light up and he would hold open his arms and he would hug you. And it was, and it didn't matter that we hadn't seen each other in a long time. He was just pure love. He was a great, great, loving human being. So we miss him horribly. And he was like this with everybody. It wasn't just me that felt that way. There was a big kid inside of him too. Um, I know he was a father figure on YNR, but there was a big kid inside of him and he was gleeful and he was joyful and he loved to play and um, and I'll miss him very, very much. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know like my audience were, were big daytime fans and, and, you know, getting the news earlier this year was just terrible. So thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, just before you go, I did want to ask, uh, do you have any hopes uh, and, and dreams for Jill coming up? Because again, we really enjoy every time you come back and I think you have to travel back and forth to, to California to do the work on YNR, uh, but we do hope you, you stay around for sure. I hope so. So maybe your people could mail the writers because that's always the way. If they find, if they get a good idea for a story from me, because I've already told them that I love doing the work. So, um, if if as far as I'm concerned, if I had my druthers, I would run Chancellor again. So Perfect. that would be my dream. That would be amazing. Well, I Jess, thank you so much for doing this. It literally has been an honor to have you on the show. Like I said, I've watched you since I was 13 years old, and uh, you're a part of my life. So every time you, again, sashay back into to town, I'm just, I'm, I'm gleeful. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It was so lovely talking to you. Thank you. That is uh, Emmy Award-winning actress Jess Walton from The Young and the Restless. And please make sure to follow her on Twitter, at JessWaltonYR. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. Well, time now for a look at some new music and kicking things off, Blake Shelton, who happens to be a long-standing coach on The Voice. He has recently dropped the song you are hearing now called God's Country, and this fits right along with who Blake is, a good old country boy. And if you're into country music, this should definitely be right up your alley. Blake, by the way, just performed the song on the Academy of Country Music Awards, and it's the first single from his upcoming new project. Kelly Clarkson has released a new single from the movie Ugly Dolls, which was actually co-written by Pink. It's no surprise that Kelly is on the film's soundtrack, by the way, considering that she voices the lead character, Moxie. The song you're listening to is called Broken and Beautiful, and the soundtrack is going to be released April 26th, with the movie following in theaters on May the 3rd. If I'm moving too far Can we just talk? 
And finally, new music from 21-year-old R&B superstar Khalid, who released an amazing debut album two years ago called American Teen, which featured hit songs like Location and Young, Dumb and Broke. He is now back with his sophomore album called Free Spirit, which dropped this past Friday, and he's working with some pretty big producers on this album, including Stargate, Disclosure and Hit Boy. The song you're listening to now is a sample of his single called Talk, and Khalid, by the way, is going to be heading out on tour to support his new album. You can check his website for details. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Don't forget you can subscribe to our show on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and Google Play. Well, we are looking forward to chatting with our next guests, Juno Award-winning band Marianas Trench. The guys have released their latest album called Phantoms, and there is much to talk about, including how they have managed to stay together as a band for so long. We caught up with band members Ian and Mike when the band recently came to Montreal. The Kelly Alexander Show. I cannot believe I get to have these guys back on the Kelly Alexander Show. We had them a couple years ago, and they are back as I already kick Ian. Uh, Ian, <laughs> Ian and Mike from Marianas Trench. Hi, boys. Hello. Hello. So happy to have you back on the show. As I was telling um, people, or you guys off the air, uh, uh, when we did the last interview, your trenchers found it and like spread it all across Trencherland. Can we call it? I don't know. This is the name Kelly Allen. <laughs> just has this, the Kelly, it should be like, massive sitcom. Uh, exactly. The Kelly Alexander Show. <laughs> That's it. So we love having you on the show, and I wanted to start off by by talking about the album. Um, I understand that it's thematic with, like, the haunting of past loves, but what are the hauntings? Like, what would, is it, like, issues of trust? Like, is that what the some of the songs are based off of? Issues of trust. Yeah, I don't think that's any of them. I don't think that's in there. Um, I think it's just, like, just the ups and downs and the the okay. the, the, the stuff that lingers, um, whether it's aches from the growing pains of being in a relationship or just the the echoing effects of, of a relationship that's no longer with you that you still miss the presence of or you crave it. And I think it's more that perspective. Yeah, he's kind of thrown in, uh, lyrically speaking, like a few of like... El- or, um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, not to sleep last night. Um, like a little bit of uh, his storytelling kind of thing mixed mm-hmm. in there. So it's a little bit, auto- a lot of it's autobiographical Josh, but mixed in with some fantasy. So. With fantasy business. Yeah. Do you guys help write the lyrics? Is it just Josh that does all that? It's him, but he'll sometimes, he will ask, like bounce stuff off us, off us kind of thing. So okay. he'll ask our opinions, but... He might be have a few different ideas of which way it should go, and then we'll. And I've actually always wanted to ask you guys because he does all the lyrics. Does he come in like with a guitar and play it, and then you guys figure out your parts, or how does that work, or does he just sing at you, and then you get a finger figure out your parts? Yeah, he usually puts down um, very very rough performances of everything um, with like just on the the um, what do we call it. The Pro Tools tracks yeah. okay. using the computers and then we replace it and then add the personal touches and, and figure out if we want to do something different. But sometimes when you're doing those tracks, we've never played the songs before. You have like those, like the killing kind. Yeah. You're like, and what part comes next? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't make any sense when nothing else is there. It's uh, it's quite challenging. It's, it's actually weird. You always wish you could record it again at the end of the album cycle when you're so confident with the songs compared mm-hmm. to when you're in the studio doing it all for the first time. It's, uh, it's... It's very different. It takes a lot of concentration. Do you guys set like um, time frames about how long the albums are going to take? Like three months, to, like four months? We tried to with this one, but we missed it. That's why okay. the album kind of came out so <laughs> close to like the tour. We had the tour planned. Okay. We thought we had enough time, but 
like one of Josh's biggest strengths is also, I guess, his biggest weakness, if you look at it that way. But he just, it's such a perfectionist, right? Mm -hmm. So all of us are. But it's just until he feels the song is finished, there's always little layers going on in there. Like whether it's a Mm -hmm. little vocal layer or if it's like, you know, a little extra keyboard part, that kind of thing. But there's just always adding to it. So Mm -hmm. we we had a deadline, but we we pushed it a little too far. Okay. And does that mean the record label gets mad or what happens? Not mad. It's just like you got a tour. Like everyone's <laughs> well, like, we have a tour coming. The album has to be out. So. We were getting, I was getting a lot of emails on the side that weren't sent out to everybody, at least not to Josh and from the label. I'm like, so how many songs do you have done? And trying to figure out when we can release. Well, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have album artwork yet. And you can feel the stress, but they're trying not to <laughs> they won't put it on it top. Yet. They won't throw it at Josh. They'll throw it more like they'll ask us. Okay. And then ask us for how the fe- feels and like, if you can see what kind of a response you're going to get kind of thing especially in writing mode his head is very very immersed in it so, yeah yeah and it's very personal for him so mm-hmm. like, although when we were about three weeks from the deadline the actual had to be done by then he's like how many weeks do we have to go and he's like oh my god and he started working like work through christmas 12 hours a day and everything and wow uh, but he had to do it because when you take your time all of a sudden you gotta get catch it up somehow yeah it always seems to happen that way now, I know you guys, just speaking of the fact that you guys have uh, record label support and obviously PR teams and all that kind of stuff, but in this day and age, you still have to be businessmen, right? And like what you're doing. So do you find it challenging to be the artist and sort of be the bosses, especially because you have such a big band? Like well, for- the interesting thing about this band is uh, each member of the actual band all seem to have different aptitudes. Um, Josh is such a strong, creative mind that he takes care of a lot of that stuff. And then... The three of us work on other logistics. I sort of do a lot of this the yeah, money, sure. numbers, kind of fi- uh, merch stuff. He's a good numbers guy for sure. Ian's very good at rallying the support around us to, to help organize and make sure that's all synchronized. Okay. And Matt does a ton of stuff too. So it's always been that way. Even when it was the four of us at the beginning with, with nobody doing anything for us, it just kind of worked out. I think that's actually one of the reasons that it, it has continued to work is we don't have a lot of... Uh, headbutting because we all look at things slightly different yeah i know uh, when you guys are on downtime like for example i interviewed matt separately like a few months ago maybe it's like six months ago already when he did his solo stuff right, right, right. do you guys find that you need that break like when you guys break from the band that you need to go off and do some other things uh just to kind of clear your head and do different avenues to come back then maybe more creatively stronger i definitely don't play very much music when we're not okay work work because uh, you need a break i need mm-hmm. a break it's it's not other musical stuff though usually Maybe a little bit, um, but it's just it's just balancing the scales so you can sort of uh, nourish the other half of your life, the home stuff, the relationships, and make sure those mm-hmm. are all healthy and well taken care of. Yeah, last album cycle, I remember counting back, looking at all the tour days. We did like 87 shows in the States. Wow. And then quite a few in Canada and quite a few in Europe. But like at, at the end of that one, we were all like... Just sort of, but you're also playing this. I love playing and I yeah. love playing the songs we play, but yeah. I guess after you've performed a song maybe 150 times or so right mm-hmm. just touring not like practicing and not have you know the recording obviously yeah. you're playing it a lot when you're rehearsing you're playing it a lot yeah but, and then sound check et cetera, et cetera, right so yeah. at, at the end where it's probably like <laughs> he's right though oh, yeah I'm, you're like I'm done. Good. I'm good. my ears are tired it's yeah my son is always like i want to listen to music and i'm like in the car i'm like not right now i was just practicing for three hours you don't understand because you're listening so hard it's not just a casual listen yeah and when he wants to listen to our stuff in the car which he loves <laughs> and i love that he loves it i'm like i can't listen to this because all i'm thinking about is what do i have to sing here and play there and um so my actual favorite part with the music is before we start the 
the rehearsals pre the first tour. Yeah. It's about a one or two month where the album feels like it might to other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's my favorite. The one thing I don't mind is like only at a, for a short, like a, just to listen to it a little bit is yeah. like after you've played your like the song so much live, you mm-hmm. get used to how it sounds live. Yeah. And yes. then if you go back and hear it like sometimes way later, you know yeah. what I mean? But I don't mind listening to, I'm not going to like... I like listening to my album. I don't sit around and listen to our own stuff and bask in our own glory or something. But it's fun to listen how it sounds because you're like, oh, yeah, you forget about all the little production choices that yeah. get a little bit lost in, when you play live because, you know, it's guitars are louder and everything's a bit yeah. more in your face. But that I don't mind. Okay, that's cool. Not right when we come off tour, though. When you guys come right off tour, do you guys, like, for sure separate, like, not talk to each other for two weeks? Just Not meaning to not, but just kind of, like, not, going doing your own thing? We don't intentionally avoid each other yeah. um sometimes you just, like sometimes matt lives pretty close to me so sometimes it'll be like three to say hey you want to go grab dinner and and it's no big deal then yeah. there are other times just due to life and everybody has to catch up on their own stuff that you mm-hmm. you might not see each other for a couple of weeks okay okay it might be more to do with what's going on with them personally yeah not yeah. like you know they just might have stuff to deal with so you're okay. get back home she's like ah, I'm just we like each other yeah i want to ask you too because I've, I've interviewed a couple of um like dancers that are you know dancers are right on with like the big pop hacks or whatever and they've talked about how when they come off like an eighth or nine months tour that they have like problems reacclimating to real life yeah post you guys tour, tour stress yeah. disorder yeah, yeah. Um, I'm getting better at it, but it used to be a big thing because like when you're on the road, there's an itinerary every single day and there's a goal every single day and there's a routine you get into it and you get good at it. Mm -hmm. And then like you also have this weird through the day, you kind of conserve your energy and you get this thing where you peak at the same time every day. So all those things change and all of a sudden you're getting up in the morning and you have to do all these things from the beginning of the day. And, um, I'm better at getting back into regular than I used to be. But it used to be a big deal. Okay. Take me a week or so. I can't remember what the guy's name was or who who he oh. was crew for. But there was a and this is a, this will like for sure happen with people. He was on the road so much yeah. that his bed he couldn't sleep in a normal bed anymore. So he actually had. Have you ever been in a tour bus? You know, how yeah. the bunks are really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cough, call them coffins for a reason. Yeah. Um, he actually had to build himself a bunk oh in his room. Goodness. So he built a bunk, a replica of a tour bus. So it was like you know, like this wide by like this high oh by about God. six. It's the only way he could sleep. And then it had a little curtain on it. He'd climb it and close like, the curtain. It's like Shawshank Redemption, institutionalized. Yeah, he was oh totally institutionalized. Wow, that's crazy. And then he crazy. normal. Yeah, he was good. And then if he tried to put him in a normal bed, he's like... He's just he's like a little crazy. There are even... Sometimes I've, we've had crew members who, when it's a day off and you've got a hotel, they'll still go back to the bus to sleep because they, they can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Do you guys try to tour with the same crew or main... Like a lot of the same guys or does it really A change? lot of the same guys, yeah. 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 Okay. We have a... a a few core guys and then as many of a it's like a second circle we try to get as many of those people as possible okay and then there's usually one or two new guys we're okay. so lucky our crew they're fantastic and they're very very our tour manager's great and it all kind of rolls downhill if you got a great guy everyone likes working for him because yeah. he's just a good human being and he's yeah. really funny okay that's so awesome. yeah it's it's a fantastic crew to be around like we a lot of i guess a lot of artists the band and the crew are very separate they yeah. have separate lives they don't mm-hmm. really intermingle Whereas with us, we're always hanging, like day off or dinners or whatever, we're hanging out with the crew all the time. That's amazing. Now talk to us too about um, life on the road. What is one thing you cannot be without? Obviously cell phone, but I guess that's just life in general because you have to add, answer so many emails. And Hair straightener. Okay. <laughs> of that type of stuff, what do I need? 
don't know. It's funny because I was interviewing, was it Sarah Brightman? So this opera singer or whatever. And she said she's like, she has a special pillow that like has to go with her. Like huh. that's the way it is. And I don't have enough room okay. with a special pillow. <laughs> it's like, forget it. I'm yeah, half a suitcase is just socks and underwear. Like <laughs> seriously, 30 pairs of each. That fills up a lot of space. You know me. What is it that I need? I never know how to answer this question. You need all of your supplements. Yeah. I have <laughs> lots of like, I see a naturopath keep me all healthy. Okay. Yeah. So I take like, got like a freaking pharmacy of like green algae. Good for you. Herbs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Actually, herbs, let's talk, let's, Ian, it's herbs. herbs. Let's talk a little bit about that. Cause you guys are no stranger to life on the road. Obviously, as you guys have gotten older, obviously you're not old at all, but, but do you have certain things that you know that you need to do to make sure you stay healthy for these grueling tours? Uh, getting enough sleep is key. And even okay. when you're in the bus and it's a hard bumpy road, some nights you sleep like crap, but you've got to get it when you can, mm-hmm. especially for the voice that really makes a difference. Uh, eating better. Mm-hmm. Then the first few years, we just eat fast food all the time at the beginning. Yeah. And now it's like a, as much uh, nutritional awareness as possible yeah. has been Training. incorporated into the lots, catering. And stuff. Okay. Lots of salads and lots of fruits and vegetables. Kind and of do you guys stay drink the- a lot of water, if you remember. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jack Daniels. Okay. <laughs> we haven't lost all the rock, the rock star stuff. The more Jack you have, you have to. Have but like water. by week, like, or let's say month two, are you still on the rails? Because I, I interviewed Classified a couple of months ago and he's like, we always start with the best intentions and then they just fall off the rails. Not I completely. Like we usually get better as we go. Okay, like we also. So before every show, about two hours before, we do a workout. Everybody, we've got a, a case with weights in it, which nice. is a burden for the for the crew guys. It's like 120 pounds of these, like, um, I can't remember what they called, the block ones where you can change the weight of them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And we've got exercise bands and an ab wheel and all these things. Okay. So we spend 30 to 45 minutes just getting your blood blood up but also keeping in shape it's so, a okay. really heavy case and the local crew guys were like these guys like to get in shape they can carry this down the <laughs> stairs and take it themselves it was so Did funny yeah it was so funny <laughs> um i have to ask you too about the the songs on the new album do you have a favorite one that you guys like to play because they're new right so they're all new new yeah beats. uh there it's it's easy it's an easier one for me to play but i really enjoy glimmer okay uh it's very it's got a nice groove same with don't miss me and then i I love the closing track it's my favorite song in the album so playing that is like all the goosebumps and all that stuff yeah glimmer and don't miss me for me are good because it's they're very groove oriented okay and being the drummer it helps me to get out of my head and just kind of feel feel it up those are the songs i like the most now obviously like you're as we talked about your trenchers are like insane for like all of your catalog but are there songs where you're like "Ah, tired of playing or you're never tired of playing them like are you tired of playing like uh pop 101 or desperate measures or stutter like do they ever you happy to play them uh, i mean you just have to find a way to make them fresh uh something like cross my heart we've played a thousand times i don't yeah. know whatever it is it's a lot um so it's nice to play the new songs and if there are enough of them in the set then you still enjoy the the catalog that people grew up with and the the fan reactions are always really good on those songs because mm-hmm. it's their familiar their familiar music so that part is always electric and um yeah, for me it's I guess I'm maybe lucky or unlucky, depending on how you choose to look at it. I always try and lay down a perfect performance of each song. Okay. And really, it's impossible to be perfect. You yeah. Know? Like, it's yeah. for... Well, it is. It's like, you know, if we play to like a metronome, right? So mm-hmm. to have every beat, every single hit, yeah. a perfect hit in the perfect place with perfect execution is mm-hmm. impossible. So I guess always trying to strive for that makes it fun for me. Like I could play a song over and over and over and over again kind of yeah. thing. And that's just, I still don't mind. That's totally, for me, that's what I do is it like I'll try to like just play better. Yeah, yeah. Even if we've played it a whole bunch of times, I'm like, I bet you I can do better than yesterday. Like, That's and awesome. or sing a little better or like be more in tune. Just try to get everything perfect because mm-hmm. that's at least the 
but then you can make it interesting and challenging and still work on yourself right even mm-hmm. if you're like i remember watching flea play bass and he, i was mm-hmm. really listening i'm like wow he's nailing all these parts and he's psychotic on stage <laughs> like he is jumping around <laughs> like crazy so even if you're trying to play perfect there, there's the whole showmanship side of yep, it right so exactly usually the, if you're trying to be greater and wilder and larger than life you have a greater tendency to you know, you're playing as looser. That's, yeah. that's the true art is figuring out where you can really put on the show and not compromise the performance of the music. Yeah, even if you're like a lead, if you're a lead singer and you're running around and yeah. you're going to start huffing and puffing. Well, and exactly. You that, you're going to maybe sing a little flatter mm-hmm. or like you're, you know, you're going to not execute as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's impossible to be perfect, but it's, it's fun to try. But that's why I, I'm in martial arts and that's why, because people ask me, they're like, why are you still in it? And I'm like, well, because I'll never be perfect. And so you, it never gets boring to me because I just like, yeah, because I keep doing the same routines over and over since yeah. I'm six it's years certain, old. It would be the same. Yeah. yeah and that's how, it's, it's exactly what you guys said. It's like, you know, you can never nail it. So you just yeah. keep trying to do it. Yeah. Um, couple last questions for you. If you guys had a, a, a bio movie made about you, who would, who would play you in the band? Who would play you in? We would. I gotta give the same answers I gave, but I think for was it the, what's that? Sean William Scott? Or, oh yeah, okay. I think that should be Ian. No, no, mine would be Mar, oh, yeah. the guy who plays Mar from Home Alone. Okay. <laughs> if you can, there's certain pictures you're like, hey, he does look uh, like Marv. I don't know who I get to play me. Uh, uh, who's good hair? Yeah, that's Sean that. William Scott could do you. He's not as in shape as you are, though. He used to be. Sean, sure. I'm just kidding. We'll He's that. in wicked shape. Maybe maybe Colin Farrell. Ooh, I like that. I do. I think that's He's good. He's a fantastic actor too. There you go. Uh, favorite social media app? Or do you Will guys Ferrell. like? Or, <laughs> or, <laughs> or Will Ferrell? Do you guys like being on social media? Do we like being on it? Yeah, uh, I do. For, I, I like do a, like it. Um, okay. You know, there's always the negative side of social media. Yeah. It's almost. I've realized too. The more negativity you get, sometimes yeah. that can mean like you know the people are in your face and bullies or trap people love to trash you and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It actually means you're bigger. Yeah. So if we're getting a lot of you know negative attention in that yeah. kind of way, it actually means that like we're actually the more successful we are, mm-hmm. the more you I get watch. that. So it's actually um, we're not getting enough negative like <laughs> attention right now. It's like well, are we doing something wrong or I don't you know that side of things I don't view it as bad anymore. Yeah. I view yeah. it as a, a positive. It's true. Keyboard warriors. Yeah. Mike, I think social media is a cool way to keep in touch with everybody. Um, it's so different than it was even five, ten years ago. Like yeah. it's changing really quickly. Uh, but it's interesting that you can like, especially our, our later Instagram is going crazy. Um, we have a media guy putting out better content for us, so it's it's actually become a real big key part of the whole package. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's neat to see that change. I also, just need people to remember though that's one percent right yeah some people see it, uh, glimpses of people's lives and think that's all of it but that's yeah. just a bit and it's the dangerous thing is comparing yourself to the best one percent of everybody's mm-hmm. life that's the one thing i like people need to remember it's true and last question for you uh apart from family and friends who is the coolest person in your phone, in my phone? yeah like who could you call up that we would know like Chad from Nickelback? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Okay, that's he's cool. A, he's a super... He's a really... He's so nice, man. He's a great guy. nice human being, and he yeah. always gives really, really good advice. Oh, cool. He's been around the block you know, yeah. many times, and yeah. he's very, very positive influence. Aren't you guys on the same label, or part of the same he label? Or owns he owns it. The there we go. He's there we are. Boss. There you go. So so is there anybody else? Is there any, like, Hollywood star? Like, can you call up Avril? I don't know. <laughs> have her number no i don't know i'd have to i'd have to go through it and they're they're under an alias oh right that's true eh? i think right now like i have a few but i can't for whatever reason i can't 
Is there any like right Yosemite Sam or something? Like, what are the coolest like nicknames you have? Do you have like is like Bob <laughs> for their nickname? I can't remember right now. Who's in my phone that they're got their under aliases? Because basically all the people we've toured with. That's right. That's true. Oh, and I did want to ask you too, just for the fans, what message would you like to give up to them? Because like we're very fortunate. A lot of your fans follow our show too. So, thank you for continuing to support us. Legit. Like, thank you for coming to shows and being nice and kind people to us. Yeah, you're the nicest. It's funny. Everybody who. <laughs> becomes part of our personal lives and sees the social media uh, reactions that you guys provide. They're like, wow, you guys have the best fans. They're so nice and they wait up by the bus and they're like so patient and so grateful. It's like, we're really lucky. Yeah, awesome. Very, very fortunate. Guys, I just love having you on the show. So thanks for doing this. Every time you come by, you do it for me. So thank you. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Mike and Ian from Mariana's Trench hanging out on The Kelly Alexander Show. The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the program. We always appreciate your time. Of course, a big shout out going to our guests, actress Jess Walton and Ian and Mike from Mariana's Trench. My thanks, of course, going out to our super producer, Adam Brisson. And don't forget that you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. We'd also love for you to check out all of our social media by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I'll chat soon.